How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here from uh, Spear Talk. And uh, today we're welcoming the incredible Mike Stone, sensei, author, actor, stuntman, motivational speaker, overall incredible human being with a fascinating and riveting life. And uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Now, we've, we kind of get the elephant out of the room here with... The 2020 was kind of a wash for everyone in the sense of you couldn't really do what you normally did. You've also been kind of isolated where you live now. Has that been kind of helpful to your mental health and physical health? Well, actually, that's the main reason I, I decided to move here uh, 35, 36 years ago. So, uh, yeah, it, I was um, very disillusioned by the direction I felt the martial arts was moving in. And part of my disappointment and disillusionment was the fact that I was partly responsible for its rise and the, the initial stage of uh, competition. So, and I participated as, um, as a promoter of tournaments and different special events. So uh, it, it was not what I first started karate for. My growing up in Hawaii, as I did, uh, primarily, the people I was surrounded with were Japanese in my community, in my school. They were the, the dominant nationality. Uh, so I gravitated very much, very young toward the Japanese culture, their idea, their philosophy, their mannerisms, uh, their idea of honor, respect, and integrity. And uh, so when I first had an opportunity to, uh, to train, it was not really in karate. It was uh, my junior summer. Uh, I was blessed by another Japanese friend of mine that was the, the high school sports photographer. And uh, during my junior summer, he invited me to a two-week session with a guy named uh, Kuichi Tohei, Tohei, who is the number one disciple of Ueshiba, the founder of Aikido. So I started with that and I was blessed to because in him, I saw all of the things that I really believed and wanted to believe that the martial arts was all about. That idea, right? the spirit of it, the respect, really honor and integrity, no bullshit. And uh, so I was blessed to, to do that. And when I first started karate, um, a couple of years later, when I was in the military, uh, I was blessed to have an instructor, uh, a local or a fellow Hawaiian guy. He's from Hawaii, Angus Peters. I had actually uh, gone to a boarding school uh, as a freshman when his brother was a senior <clears throat> and was playing the position of end on the football team, which I, he was my hero, his brother. So when I met my instructor, uh, he exemplified a lot of those ideologies have, having just come from Okinawa. Uh, so I was very, very blessed 
that my two initial starts in different martial arts had this kind of uh, an idea. But as I started to compete and travel around the country and, and see what was being demonstrated, talked about, believed, professed, and taught, I was going, what the hell, what, what is this? That's not what I think it is. So uh, maybe that's the reason why uh, what, when I started from the day I began, within six months, I got my black belt and not because he gave it to me, uh, but out of necessity of the dysfunction of the martial arts system at that time. So uh, his statement to me my very first day in class was, it'll take you a minimum of five years to get your black belt. That is a standard. And when I said, what do you mean standard? He said, that's an average. And I said, what do you mean average? He said, well, that's what all the instructors who came from Okinawa, Japan, Korea, uh, they were told if they were going to teach karate in America, that the minimum period they would accept foreigners to get their black belts, they needed five years of experience. Not that they couldn't do the things physically, but they didn't have the mental capacity to either understand it or to be integrated within the philosophy of the martial arts. And I agreed and I understood that very much. So, but uh, within six months after I started competing after three months, I was still a white belt when he allowed me to wear a brown belt to fight in three successive brown belt tournaments a month apart, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Dallas, Texas, and the Nationals in uh, Arlington, Virginia with June Ree. Uh, after those three successive months where my instructor just asked me to wear a brown belt so I could get experience. And in those three months, I had won everything in kata and sparring, even at the nationals as a brown belt. I was now really, I was seriously questioning what was I doing? I mean, not so much what was I doing, but everybody around me was saying that wow, you're incredible, you're awesome, you're fantastic, you're great, you're unbelievable. I mean, are you sure that you're just a brown belt? <laughs> this, this is at the Nationals. And actually, on the flight back from uh, uh, to Arkansas, from Arlington, uh, my instructor didn't seem happy on the flight. So I asked him, I said, Sensei, what's, what's the problem? Are you happy for my success? And he says, of course. But while you were having fun kicking people's ass, uh, people came up to me and said, uh, uh, Sensei Peters, is Mike Stone your student? And he said, yes, he is. And he said, well, we just heard that you just came from Okinawa about a year ago, and you started training, and Mike Stone is a student of yours. And we were just wondering, now anytime somebody starts a sentence with, we were just wondering, <laughs> you're in trouble, right? So we we're just wondering that maybe, perhaps, just by some fluke mistake, uh, he was already a black belt of yours, and that you had demoted to wear a brown belt just so could win all of these events. And my instructor was just flabbergasted. He says, what are you talking about? He said, is that what you guys believe? And he says, well, Mr. Peters, you have to, you have to go like, this guy is no brown belt. 
And my instructor was so upset at them. He said, well, to tell you the truth, since that's what you guys are looking for, in truth, he is only a white belt. He only started training six months ago. And after three months, I allowed him to wear a brown belt just so he could get experience. So in truth, six months, he's really only a white belt. So they gave him an option and said, well, he won't be able to compete anymore in the United States as a brown belt. You have to promote him to a black because we can't have a white belt running around kicking everybody's ass and they're all <laughs> black belts already. So that was, and I was so shocked to hear him say that. And I said, well, what are we going to do? And he says, well, I'm in this dilemma. And I said, dilemma, I don't think I've met her. Joke, just a little humor. <laughs> John, John, well, are you with me? I love okay. it. Yeah, so he says, I have this dilemma. And I said, what is it? He said, do you remember what I told you the first day in class? And I pretended that I had forgotten, but I didn't. I remembered exactly what he was talking about. So I said, no, what was it? I wanted him to say it to me out loud. So he says, you remember the first day I said that, you know, I don't know what you guys think about karate and the martial arts, but it's going to take you a minimum of five years to get your black belt. So he says, that's my dilemma. So I don't know. I know how much you love to compete. I know your passion. I know how totally committed you are to training and the philosophy. And I, I would feel very bad to hold you back from that. So I'm going to contact, because he had contacts in Okinawa that approved his promotions, and tell them we have an exception here. And that uh, uh, if you don't allow him to get his black belt, um, I'm sure somebody else will give it to him and he deserves it. So he promoted me when we got back to Arkansas and promoted me to a black belt. So that was uh, within six months of the day I started training. So this disillusionment I had was that I was now wondering, now, first of all, I'm a realist in many ways, although right. I'm a dreamer. And I know while I was competing, I was never the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the most experienced, the most talented, the most flexible. I was never any of those things in comparison to the people I was fighting. There were people always bigger, better, faster than I was. That was not an issue to me. I understood that. But I had already created a mindset from high school in playing football by a, a, a football coach I had that I still follow today his philosophy and he's been dead for a long time his name is jimmy gray and the philosophy was never quit never give up never so this was a mindset i had created as a competitor in sport i was the captain of the football and basketball team in high school i ran the 400 meters in track i play every sport that has a ball ping pong marbles hula hoop jack <laughs> so and this is all I've ever done in my life. So for me, what was puzzling at that time, I was only 19 years old, already the world champion. I was going like, something is really not right. And when I say not right, I don't mean that I know right and wrong, but I understand, I understand the natural laws. I understand universal laws. So what was puzzling to me is, why is everybody, and including very good friends of mine, Joe Lewis, Chuck Norris, Jim Harrison, Pat Burleson, a lot of them were saying to me, Mike, how can you, uh, how can you do it so effortlessly? You know, it's like you're not even trying. 
And I said, no, I'm not trying because trying is not being. So they go like, what are you talking about? I said, trying, even in the word trying, it's if you listen to the word, the vibration of the word, trying means there's effort involved. That's what trying is. Yes. And when you put the ing at the end of try, that means it's an ongoing process. You're trying continually. And I don't try. I simply be who I am, not do. I be who I am. It's my being. It's my spiritual awareness. It's knowing who I am in each moment that I express myself as a fighter, that there's no question in my mind the result. Now, the officials may have another outcome right. because it's up to them to decide. But regardless of their decision and their choices, I am the one that is being me. I'm not trying to be something I'm not. So in that idea, I started off with a, a very unusual mindset that simply allowed me to express myself, who I was. You know, I never, I, there were only a few people I ever remembered fighting. I never have opponents. I never have opposition. Why would I want that? Why would I want to go into any type of a contest that it's me against me and have to worry about another human being? They don't matter. Now, right. I don't mean it in an arrogant sense that they're nothing as a person. I don't mean that at all. But they don't matter to me, to me meaning that they don't have any power and influence over the way I think. That's solely mine. And that is in my mind as I'm being who I choose to be. So when I saw that this was the difficulty my friends were having, that they were continually trying, so they were not consistent. You know, Chuck and you and all those people, they've all won and lost. I've never lost. So does that make me any better than them? Of course not. Not at all. Not in any way better. But am I being the best I can be for me? That's the question always. Right. So if I can live with that, if I go out into my life, regardless of how I'm choosing to express myself, in all aspects of my being human, which means I'm a spiritual being before I became a human being, and I have a mentality and physicality, and those two things, the mental and physical parts, are simply tools and sometimes not the best use of these tools to be who we truly are. So in being an idea, you have to go back and actually reconnect or remember who you are and where you come from. And this is your spiritual nature. This is not, has nothing to do with your mind and your body because your mind is an ego that you created a reality that's so far off base that you lose total sight and connection as to your spiritual nature. That is who you are. And that spiritual quality is called love and light. And that frequency, that energy vibrates at a particular frequency. Like all things else in the, everything vibrates. That's, that is the law. That's not my idea. That's really how it is. And I extend my vibrational resonance, not purely in the physical sense that since I chose to be a human being and live in the physical world of relativity, that I am spiritual first. So my first commitment and loyalty 
is to this aspect of who I am, this spiritual nature. And I found out that as soon as I reconnected with that, everything for me, everything. And when I say this, I don't mean I'm special. I don't mean it that way at all. Everything became effortless, effortless. The most difficult times in my life has always been when I was trying to be someone I was not. And that was always challenging. I felt awkward. I felt disassociated. I felt weird. I felt uncomfortable. But whenever I was allowing myself to be who I am and I recognize that and reconnect with that aspect of who I was, everything in my life is effortless. Whether it's relationships, making money, whatever, it makes no difference. It is all the same. And I think it is this, if I may, spiritual disconnect we have within the martial arts perception that has allowed the martial arts to run, to run crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't recognize it other than the kicks and punches and blows and aggression. Uh, I mean, I don't recognize it. It is, I mean, who are these people? Now, where do you think the disconnect happened after the golden age, what I would consider yourself, Chuck, Bruce Lee, Ed Parker, after that era, it felt like it became, whether it was too much Hollywood, too much whatever, was there a, a moment or a timeline that kind of, you were like, why the change? Yes. In fact, it was not just a moment. It was a, a series of years. So even after I was, I became consciously aware of my thoughts and I was applying it in my daily life. I was disconnected around me did that made any sense. I was like, what the hell are these guys doing? <laughs> what, what, uh, what are they teaching? What do they think the student is benefiting by what they're telling them? So I, you know, then it, it, it came to a point where I just, I sold my schools and I was just disheartened by everything, the direction it went. And listen, I have some very wonderful, still very old friends that, are, that were with me from the beginning. Alan Steen, Chuck, uh, you know, Joe is no longer here. But a lot of the old time, you know, I, I really loved uh, Jim Harrison because he and I, yep. we, must have been, we must have been twins or something in our mentality because I just respected him so much. But I just could not connect with anybody. They, nothing made sense. I mean, and when you look at their lives and every time you turn around, they're going like, well, like Mike, can you give me some advice on this? And, you know, you seem like a very wise person and, you know, wise beyond my years then because I was still very young. But, you know, you seem to have some insight and some rationality. And it, it wasn't, and I was no wiser than anyone else. I just, if wisdom is the ability to apply what you know to be true, then maybe I was a little bit wiser than most at the time. But that was not my intent. My intent was, I mean, if I'm going to live for the rest of my life, however long that is, I mean, what kind of a life? Because I look around me and everybody is have the very first poem I ever wrote from scratch, from never writing a poem in my life. I was 42 years old. The first poem I wrote when I sat down to write, I said, what am I going to write about? Because I'm a poet. I can do anything. Oh, what's the problem? That first thing came to my mind. Why? Because no matter where I went, everything, the first thing was, hi, Mike, listen, I got a problem. Can you help me with this? And everything <laughs> was, 
everything is they have a problem. They have a problem in relationships. They have a problem in their job, in their boss, in their family, in making money, in being happy, in being secure. I mean, every aspect of their life, every aspect, their physical, mental, and spiritual, which they had none, most of them, because most of them, some of my clients now, they've never heard the word spirituality. Right. And when I say that, I go like, you've ne- you're 56 years old and you've never heard of the word spirituality? No, you mean like some type of religion? No, has right. nothing to do with religion. Please don't connect the dots there. It doesn't go there. So anyway, it's this, yeah, it's this type of, I have to say, well, let me go out and, and create my own thing. In fact, I have, a, I have a program coming out the 17th of April we're going to do here at the house. And we're inviting, we're inviting just few people, but it is a formula that I had created. And, uh, you know, everything in life is a formula, right? Yep. I mean, uh, McDonald's has a formula. Coca-Cola has a formula. Formula One has a formula. <laughs> so everything is a formula. And, uh, and what a formula is, is a process. And I really don't appreciate that word, but I'll use it in this context. There is a process and there is a particular, there are ingredients in the formula that you put in at a particular time so that the formula ends up being the result of it is the formula. So my formula, uh, you know, Albert Einstein had E equals MC squared. Mine is a lot simpler. It's uh, L-E-T equals A. So L-E-T equals A slash M. And the reason I put the slash M is because I'm dealing with people that their goal in life is to make money. But the truth is, nothing starts really success. Nothing starts if you don't have love first. So love is the first ingredient in my formula. And when I talk about love, and people say, why love? What do you mean? What kind of love? Do you love ice cream? Do you love this woman? Do you love your job? Yes, all of it. All those expressions of love is what I mean. So it starts with love because you, as a spiritual entity, was created out of the frequency and vibration of love and light. That is your basic non-physical vibration. This is who you are. So you should start your physical life. Everything that you choose to obtain, acquire, accomplish should start with love first. So make sure you love yourself first, but not in an arrogant, conceited way, but love yourself in the idea of honor, respect, and have personal integrity. That's first. So the love starts within you. Then you can go out and whatever and however you choose to express this love in all the different variations and combinations you can choose to, then you're off on the great start. You're going to have your success has already begun. But if you start the formula with the other two, for example, which is energy and time, if you start off with energy, it'll peter out. If you start off with time, which doesn't, Time is an illusion. It does not exist. So you're already starting off with nothing. So you have to start off with love as the primary ingredient and start the process of creating your physical reality. So find what you love, not like, not enjoy. Find what you love. Now, that may take you some time. 
And if you look around you, you'll see it's taken people all of their lives and some people will never find what they love. Why? They've never found the love within them that will allow them and allow them to have the willingness to pursue it without ever quitting. So anyway, that's the first, uh, that's the L. The E is for energy. Energy, everything in the universe is energy. Everything. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that exists, whether it is physical or non-physical, that does not vibrate at a particular frequency. Everything does. So if energy is that abundant in the universe, how come people say, hey, you want to work out today? Ah, oh, no, I'm kind of tired. You know, I had a long day at the office. What a wimp. I mean, come on. Don't you realize that you can create your own energy? They go, oh, man, I'm so trash. I'm so tired. Without realizing everything around you is energy. How come you can't create more? And more people only believe and limit themselves to the idea that energy is acquired through what you're eating. That's the most ineffective energy you can ever create. Right. There, there are other energies that you can tap into that are much more powerful and last a lot longer. It's like these new batteries they're coming out with, right? I mean, for years, yep. we have these batteries that don't last two days. Now they have one that they, you know, but they had this technology. It's just they couldn't make money before. Now they can. So energy is the next step. So it's love, energy. I found out that when I'm in love with what I want to be, I find out I have all the energy in the world. All. I'm never tired. In fact, I lose track of this idea called time. They come, Mike, you know what time it is? It's six o'clock. What? Six? What are you talking about? You've been here nine hours. Are you out of your mind? You're crazy. No, no. At least I got to stay a couple more hours. Are you tired? Hell no. So there is no such thing as time. There is universal time. And that time is very easy to calculate. Why? Because it is only now. It is only the present moment in which we exist. There is no other time but that. None. Now, to prove it to you, I'll make a statement that's going to freak out you maybe and some of your guests. But in this moment, John, you and I are sharing. Yep. In this moment, this is the only time. Now, I don't care. You're in Massachusetts. I am here in the Philippines. But simultaneously, this moment we are sharing is the only time that actually exists in our life. Why? Because this is the only moment we both exist. And in right. this moment of existing is the only time, actually it's a place, that we can actually die. We can only die. We can only die now. Not tomorrow, not last week. And if we die tomorrow, it'll be now, then. So yeah, in this moment. Fascinating. Very sorry, fascinating. But... No, it's very fascinating. And so when you were competing, did you, when you're going one-on-one -on -one with whoever, did you have this, did you come to this moment where it's like, you're competing right now, but this is the only time at this exact moment that you will be doing this punch or this whatever. Like, when did you kind of realize that let equals A slash M was a part of your life. Okay, listen, the, the, you're aware of this, John, so I'm not going to question, I'm not questioning your ability to understand. If you're in a crisis situation, right. 
So if you're fighting in the ring and somebody's going to punch your face, right? So you have to you have to decide. Actually, you don't decide, do you, John? You never no, you have don't. time. Yeah, you don't have time to think. If you do, you already got punched in the face. Yep. Okay. So what can what can eliminate the thinking process? Well, what I did was I created a mindset, and the mindset I said to myself, I programmed myself to believe is I'm going to punch you in the face as many times as I can without getting hit. Now, this is a very complex statement, very complex. The first part of it, of course, is aggression. For me to get points, I have to punch you in the face. While I'm doing that, I don't want to get hit at all. That means I must be the best. I must be the greatest athlete. It's not a, you don't have to be a good athlete to punch someone in the face. But not to get punched, you have to be a good athlete. Right. You understand? Right, right. So now, you're, so now your mind normally only works in one train, one direction at one time. But here I'm telling myself, I'm going to punch you in the face without getting hit. So I'm playing two sides of the sword simultaneously. So I really don't have time to think. I don't have time to think. But since I give myself that instruction and I trust, have faith and believe that I have this ability to punch you in the face without getting hit, it'll take care of itself. There is no thinking process. In fact, many times when I could walk out, I go like, was that it? <laughs> really? Right. Did they stop you too soon? No. So when, when you're in, I call this state heightened awareness. So when you're in this state, there is no time for thinking. There is no thought process. Why? The term process already means there's some longevity involved. There is no longevity. There, there is now. When? Now. When? That's, that now is finished. We're in this now. Oh, that one's finished. We're in the, oh, that one's finished. That's how fast the moments go by. In fact, John, the moment of your death will be instantaneous. One moment you're going to be alive, and the next moment you'll be dead. Right. You're going to make a major transition, a transformation in vibrational resonance within a moment. Now, if that is true, would you agree that that's true? Yes, I agree. Yes, 100%. If you agree that, then why not live that way? If you believe that is true, that where you exist now is the only place, not time, because you'll be in different locations and it'll be instantaneous. So of course it is now that you can die. If you can die in this moment, why not live in this moment? Well, it goes back yeah. to the whole thing where it's these people on their deathbed have these, they call it regret. And it's like, it, it, what you just said summed up because like a minute before that person dies, they didn't have that regret. But the minute they die, they have that regret. It's like, it's very... It's so fascinating that, like, for someone that say someone that doesn't think the way you think, or myself, or hey, live in the moment now. Can you retrain someone? Like, how do you get someone to realize that, hey, in forty years, you're you're gonna die, but these forty years coming up, you could also live. And it's like, where do you, how do you help someone that maybe has like an issue trying to figure that out? Well, actually, all of the clients I've had come here from all over the world that have come here and done my program, the life-changing experience. The people that have come here have made quantum leaps. Awesome. 
I know when I talk about quantum, I'm talking people in 70 years old, 56, 35, 27. When they come here for the time that, and when they come here, you're not allowed to leave the property. You're not allowed to eat. You, you fast. You train. We do eight hours a day. We do meditation. We do walking. We do physical. We do spiritual. We do mental. So it's a complete program. So in that time, I, I think you know, you've probably heard of the law of 21, right? Yes. That if you do something 21 times repetitively every day, you're going to create a new mental idea. Yes. So, so for me, at least 21 days is what I would like. Some people can't afford it. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about time. So 7, 14 days, 21, and 30 days we have. But those that come even for shorter periods of time, for the period of time that they have invested, they've made quantum leaps in their lives. They have changed. Now, when I say change, it's not like a momentary change. This is five, six, seven years later. They're still in contact with me all the time. Whenever I post something, they're still supporting my post. Yep. Their lives have changed. Their families have changed. Their friends have changed. Their business has changed. Everybody around them changed. So what is this energy that allows other people to be influenced? Listen, right. when, you're, when you have energy that vibrates at different frequencies, and you have one vibrating just incredibly powerful, and one that's, well, I don't know what's going on. Those energies can never mesh. You're going to have chaos, chaos and static. When those two energies come together, nothing's going to happen. You're going to have just problems. So what I need to do is to help people shift their frequency of energy to a higher vibration for several reasons. One is that understanding. They need to understand it, not at an intellectual level of, oh, I understand the words. No, words are actually the least effective means of communication. The least effective. And yet that is the means of communication the whole world uses to communicate right. is through words. Words are easily misunderstood and misinterpreted. So I don't like words. I like feelings. Right. In your body right now, John, the cells of your body has more memory to remember trauma than your brain has. There is more memory stored in your physical body than in your mind. Can you believe that? That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, no, it's really amazing. Very, and you, one of the things you just mentioned was the heightened awareness or the sense of whatever. And obviously, in my field, doing security for artists, bands, for you, with your background, say, when you did security, bodyguard work for Phil Spector, or whoever the celebrity is, you had to have the heightened awareness, not only for yourself, but your client. That was that a tough transition for you to kind of make the celebrity aware of your type of mentality when it came to security? Well, listen, some of these people, you can never change their mind. Their egos are so solidified. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know that, right? Right. No. I was blessed that in before being hired in the hiring process, uh, I made a condition with Phil Spector, with Engelbert, with other people. The condition was this. You are hiring me to protect you. I will do that. If you go out and find trouble, 
to get, to get me into, you're on your own. Right. So uh, I had a situation with Phil Spector when we went to uh, the Waldorf Asteria in, uh, Asteria, Asteria in New York. Yep. Uh, for the World Billiards Championships many, many years ago. Uh, I think the final match was between Joe Balsas and Luther Lasseter. But Machine Gun, Beretta, a lot of the, the very top billiard players in the world was there. Uh, I also have, was very privileged to have spent a lot of time with Willie Moscone because, oh, awesome. uh, because Phil Spector actually sponsored him to open up a chain of billiard schools throughout America. But uh, uh, Willie was in California and would come to Phil's house at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning whenever Phil wanted him to come and put on a pool exhibition. So, But yeah, the idea was uh, that we had an agreement uh, of what my job description was. And that I had to make sure that uh, they allowed me that because almost everybody else hired by these people were fired at some point. And the firing was because of uh, a misunderstanding in job description. But mine was precise. So with, with like Phil Spector and with Engelbert, I was never fired. I, I ended up with... with <laughs> with Phil was almost nine years off and on with Phil Spector. With Engelbert, two and a half years when I was only hired for six months to do a, a national tour with Engelbert throughout the United States on a concert tour. He ended up taking me to his home in Leicester, take me to vacations in Hawaii. I mean, he would not let me out of his sight. Till now, we're very, very close. I just contacted him two days ago. He's writing, awesome. the, forward. He's writing the forward to my biography. Is that something I want to talk about your book? Because I find a lot of people like yourself have an incredible story to tell that I think everyone should be aware of. But was there a sense of like fear, maybe on your part, like telling this whole story? Because there are parts of your life where you, you're going to have your defract defractors or people like, oh, this guy's a he's an asshole or people that. So when you put this all out there, is this a is this like a weight off your shoulders where it's kind of like almost therapeutic? Yeah, but remember, I've, I've had this weight on my shoulder for over 50 years. True. Ma right. Many of the things, I started off at 19 where I already knew who I was, what I wanted to do. So it's not a weight off my shoulder, but it is a relief in me saying it's about time. And when I say it's about time, I'm not concerned about what anybody thinks or says. Really, I am not. I could care less. Everybody has a right to their opinion. So they're going to say things I agree with, I don't agree with, and they have a right to do that. So that's not an issue. I'm not afraid of any uh, drawbacks or anything from that. No, I'm, 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 I'm going to tell the story of my life, not Engelbert's life, not Priscilla's life, not Phil Spector's life, my life with them. And if people don't understand the distinction, uh, it doesn't surprise me that they wouldn't understand that distinction. So, but that's the point of view I'm coming from. It's crazy. It, just uh, the whole Elvis thing, like, like I don't, I work with a lot of top bands and celebrities where like, oh, they're really big, but no one like where it's like Elvis, like the entity of Elvis was so it's historical, it's monumental, but to be like involved in that, like, how do you kind of like process that where, literally to this day people are chopping at the bit for anything Elvis like it's for you to actually live through that and deal with everything the the circus with that it's 
it's a testament to yourself because in other interviews, um, when I've listened to you and just been blown away by how you're, you have no ego, you have no, you own up to your mistakes. You, you do all this stuff. And it's like, this is a guy that sure. No, one's perfect. You've always said that, but it's inspiring how you're able to kind of just be, be become even better. Like every day. It's, 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 it's really fascinating. Yeah. And, and it's only because if I may, we we'll go back to the original things we were sharing with each other. And that is we need to simply remember and reconnect with who we are. So once you make, once you make that reconnection with the spiritual nature of who you are, you have to remember also, if I may, John, that your spiritual nature is not physical. It is an energy far more powerful than anything physical. So when you connect with this kind of power and you know who you are and you know where you came from, everything else in the physical world is bullshit. It's okay. absolutely, it's nonsense. And for you to keep, now I'm not saying you specifically, but right. when I say you generally speaking, when we continually lie to ourselves every single day about everything, when we do this and expect a different outcome, that is insanity. When you continually make the same negative choices, have the same limiting negative experiences. When you start your day off in fear, fear is the number one motivation on the planet. Look at COVID. Look at where, look at, look at what we've done to ourselves because we are afraid. Yep. It is to allow what is being done in our government today. I don't want to get into the politics because to me, I'm not talking about politics. They are. I'm talking about what are they doing to our lives. Well, we you, are you it, I think what you're trying to say is that with social media and people just chop at the bit for any information that they just, instead of worrying about, okay, say the pandemic lasts over 10 years, are you going to sit there and cry the next 10? Like, what are you going to do to make yourself better than you were the day before? Absolutely. And to do that, John, you won't be able to do it unless you're consciously aware of who you are. You understand? Yes. You can't make, you can't make that decision. If you were consciously aware, you'd make that decision. You wouldn't be that stupid to continue right. the insanity that you're living and choosing. And yet we do it all the time only because we are not connected. We, right. we, we, we do not still know who we love. So to me, it's a, it's a when they say no brainer, I mean it literally. Literally, it's a no brainer. Um, one of the uh, one of my favorite movies is American Ninja Two. Obviously, Dudikoff, Steve James, but yourself. And I guess the question is, when you transitioning from the actual martial arts of competition to say Hollywood, then to the stunts, did your mindset have to change specifically for the the stunt work itself? Because I'm curious where. They bring somebody like yourself, where it's like obviously the expert in the hand to hand, or you're a stunt man for the star. Do you, how much say do you have in a movie where it's like, okay, I know the actor is this guy, but this is how it should really look? Yeah. Well, very good question. And remember, you cannot do for the other person. Correct. So you can teach them, you can train them, but if they're doing, they're the star, they're going to have to live with their own performance. Of course, you can be criticized for the way they do it or that they didn't do it well enough and it wasn't their fault, it was yours. And that comes with the territory. But no, the, the, uh, there is no change in my mindset. So uh, if I may, I'll share another thing with you that might yes. help with, with other things. Um, 
when I was in when I was in high school, this this guy named Jimmy Gray, he was an assistant football coach. I really loved him very much. What a fantastic human being. Six feet five, 230 pounds, solid as a rock. Uh, but man, his mindset was just, this guy was insane. This guy was insane. I mean, afraid of nothing, no man. Uh, and if it wasn't for him, really, if it wasn't for him, for the two months he spent with me nearly every day, my junior summer preparing me for my senior year in football, if it wasn't for him, all my martial arts, everything else would have never happened. It was his mindset that I accepted in the two months or so uh, with everyday training, with him pushing. And when I talk about pushing, this guy is relentless. He had me in tears, had me vomiting. Uh, on a daily basis, I'm going like, what the hell am I? Am I, what? I thought you were going to get me in shape. What about stamina? He said, this is, this is going to develop stamina. I'm not going to have a body left by the time we start <laughs> the, first, the first game of the season. But by the first game of the season, I could play both ways, full game. I was in shape. Well, everybody's getting ready, spring training. I was ready to play. So the mindset in, in, in making the transition for martial arts, competition, uh, training, stunts, it's not nothing. Nothing has to change. The mindset is the same. The, the situation uh, changes. The the activity may change, but why should you have to change? You have to be such a confused person to keep changing your mindset for every little different activity you do. Right. Why not create? Why not create a way of life, a way of believing and thinking and feeling that you can apply to every situation, every aspect of your life? So there is no more confusion. So in making that transition from doing kata, for example, to choreographing a fight scene. Uh, it was it was effortless. There was nothing difficult for me to do. Nothing, very easy, and that's because I used this thing uh, when I was with Jimmy. He said, "Mike, listen, all the things that you're doing that you think you cannot, just act as if you can." I said, "What?" He said, "Act as if you can," and once I understood that idea, he said, "Act as if," which means, um, may I continue? Yes, go ahead. Okay, let's 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 say people are very much into setting goals for their life and their future, yes. right? So they say, okay, I have a short-term goal, six months. Uh, I have a year, two years, five-year goal. I have a lifetime goal. So you you create these ideas, but when you do, you are separating yourself immediately from yourself. So if I am presently, like I said, if we exist now in the present moment and we can only die now, that means we can only truly live now. So if there is something I want to be, do, or have in another time dimension that does not exist, this idea you call the future, yep. it doesn't exist. So, but if I want to play the game, it says, okay, in a year, I want to be able to do this. Well, what I do is I short circuit the entire time frame. What I do is I say, okay, I may want to do this in six months, but why not, why not bring that idea, that perception of myself in the future, why not bring that present or that extended idea into my present reality? So now everything I'm doing during the course of my existence 
is actually attracting all of those things from a different time zone that I gave to, to accomplish, I bring them into my present life. So therefore, I'm always accomplishing every day. Right. Every day, I'm acting as if it's for real. Now, this idea about imagination and visualization, it's a wonderful technique that we can use the brain. How many people use this incredible gift to their advantage? Very few. How do I know? I have eyes. I simply look around at everybody I see. <laughs> I can see they're not using, they're not acting as if they're still wondering, I hope I can maybe someday. Well, that's already separating you from where you are. Anything, anything that takes you away from the present moment is not real. You have to contend with that separation. If you say six months, you must now contend for six months to get something that you really want today when you said it. But you believe there's a process. There is no process in life. The process is now, now, now. That's the process. Love it. Any extension of that idea into what you perceive of as the future will be the time it takes in the process of acquiring it. But maybe you may never accomplish it. Not six months, a year, five years. You may right. never get there. So what are you doing? You keep extending yourself, right? We make a New Year's resolution. Five minutes after New Year's, we break the resolution and we say, oh, I'll do it next year. So you're going to extend it again. So why not bring your future into your present life? Because actually, John, where we are, we are actually creating our future and our past instantaneously. In this moment, oh, that's my past. I just created my past. Oh, I'm in my future. Oh, that's my past. Oh, I'm in my future. Oh, that's my past. So I am creating my past and my future from the moment I exist. So what other future do you want me to have? Five months, six months, a year from now? That's stupid. I don't mean it's stupid in a sense. Yeah. But no, it's, why it's, would it's, you choose to do that? Right. Because it's like people, for me, I'm like, if I do the laundry or do the dishes, it's how easy is it for one of us, you or I, to be like, I'll just wash these tomorrow. I'll fold the clothes tomorrow. But why not do it now? That, that's yes, for me. I, I have that been site where if I could do it now, I'm going to do it now. If there's a, a, a paint chip on the floor or uh, something that should be picking up, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow to sweep it up. I'm going to get it now. Yes. It's just, I find that people. So, yeah, it, it. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm listening to you. Sorry. No, I, I just find that if you could do it now, like and you, it's amazing how you just said that because I was thinking about that this past week, where it's like these people that are always pushing something, they're also always chasing something where there's no need to chase a certain thing. Where if you are, if you can't do the dishes now, why do it tomorrow? And so I, I just don't know. I can't wrap my head around people that that do that. Well, they probably can't wrap their head around you or I. Uh, right. And it's like that never-ending uh, circle there. Well, before right. I let you, before I let you go, Mike. Um, obviously, we kind of talked about the book a little bit, but what can we, when can we expect that? Um, where can people find you? I know you're on Facebook. Um, any other thing out there you'd like to put out there? 
Yeah, I just I just wrote a post uh, yesterday, actually, because I had talked with uh, Blake Chavez, who is the writer of the biography. And uh, we just had a Zoom meeting yesterday. And uh, we had we have finished 30 chapters uh, outlines. And uh, the two major chapters we're going to focus on as the major submission to the, I think it's uh, Trident, is yep. a publication, Trident Group or something. So we're going to submit to them first because we have a, a friend that uh, uh, knows the co-founder of it, a guy named Dan Strone. So uh, Priscilla and uh, Bruce Lee's uh, chapters are going to be done pretty much 80%. Yep. And that's going to be the primary submission along with 30 other chapters that take me from my childhood uh, until the present time. And it came up the idea after we started doing the biography that we will do probably two more books. The second book will be just about my martial arts career, just about my training, my uh, the promotion, my fighting, the tournaments, the movie industry, everything having to do with my martial arts career will be a separate book. And then the last book will be actually the result of the first book and the second book. So the third book is going to be the life-changing experience. I love it'll that. Be it'll be taking all of my years of mistakes, wrong choices, negativity, fear, taking those things that I, I overcame and was helped by many people throughout my life to, to guide me in the right direction. And the third book will be about uh, a very practical application of this philosophy that we can use in our daily living. So that's the third book, The Life-Changing Experience. I love that. Well, Mike, this was a blast. And I hopefully we do part two again soon because I so many other questions in my head. And, uh, but this has been awesome. You are very motivational. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best, sir. Yeah, thank you. You too, John. Thank you so much. Bless you. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Let's get up, John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.